Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. All right, guys, super excited about this week's episode. We're doing something a little bit different. We're going to be talking to some fly anglers from all over the state of Alabama. Uh, I recently got into fly fishing, tying some of my own flies, so I'm super excited for this week's episode. For our first guest today, we're talking to Matt Lewis. He is a fishery scientist and fly angler. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I think all them tornadoes and thunderstorms finally blew out of here. So I'm very thankful. Looks like we may get some decent fishing weather over the next couple of days. Yeah, hopefully. A lot of the creeks up here have been kind of blown out for a while, but there's a few that, you know, you can still get out and fish on. Well, that, that's good. I'm glad somebody's got some clear water because it's, it's hard <laughs> to find right now this far south. So uh, I know you're kind of central Alabama. What, what's your main body of water that you fish? So I'm in Auburn, Alabama, and, you know, the closest, you know, big river to me that I fish fairly frequently is the Tallapoosa River. Sure. Um, and this is, you know, above Lake Martin. So, you know, at that, that point, there's a lot of rocky shoals and some deeper sections, but, you know, we primarily like to fish the shoals because I'm typically targeting, you know, riverine bass, and that's kind of where they like to hang out. Sure. And and we talk to a lot of bass guys on here. Bass and crappies are bread and butter. Uh, but you're after a little bit different bass than what, what most of my tournament anglers and guides are after, aren't you? Yeah. So, you know, red-eye bass, a lot of anglers in Alabama know about them. They've, you know, obviously been here quite some time. A lot of people have fished for them without ever really, you know, knowing a lot about them. And that's really not their fault. There's not a lot out there about these fish. Um, even the, the state is just now kind of starting to learn about them from, you know, the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources have just um, started funding some research to, to learn more about these fish because other than knowing generally where they occur, we don't really know anything else about them. But they they live in more upland streams. So if you're above the fall line, which is kind of the physiographic barrier between the Piedmont region and the coastal plain region in Alabama. Um, and you can look out on a map kind of where it, where that that line is. But red-eye bass are above the fall line in these upland streams, the characteristic streams above those above the fall lines, a little bit higher elevation, rockier, clear water, cooler water, um, very similar to what you would, you know, see in a trout stream, you're going to find in these streams, except there's bass swimming in them instead of trout. Um, And red-eye bass are one of those species that really have kind of created a niche in these type streams. And this can be from really small you know, mountain streams up in Talladega National Forest to, you know, really larger rivers like the Tallapoosa River. Um, but again, being above the fall line in the, the Piedmont region is is really where these bass are going to be found. I got you. 
And and I'm like I imagine a lot of our listeners, I I've known about red-eyed bass. Um, I don't know down here because I'm on the Gulf Coast. I've never really had the opportunity to catch one. I don't think unless it's when I was a kid. I did some more stuff further up where you're mm-hmm. talking about. What can you tell me about them? Like like I know they're really popular with flying blues. And when I started getting into to fly fishing a couple months ago, obviously we're not catching you know brook trout and and stuff like that this far far south unfortunately they've got some some stocked areas in alabama but as far as i know there's no established wild populations of trout so that's kind of the go-to fish and and most people i read about fishing for them are either catching them you know as as kind of bycatch or they're catching them on a fly is a red-eye bass like is it something that you think of more in terms of a trout or in terms of a bass is it is it kind of in between as far as as how it operates and where it lives like just give me give me the 101 because i'm i'm pretty ignorant (laughs) no i yeah no that's a really good question i mean i i think that i mean it's certainly a bass and i think of it in terms of a bass i think as as alabamians we have to kind of recalibrate what we think of as bass you know i grew up in south alabama and you know the only thing to fish for the big coastal plain rivers you're fishing for largemouth or, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it's, it's bass or brim. And brim is, you know, anything that's a panfish is kind of under the umbrella of brim. And anything that's a bass is under the umbrella of bass. And then you move, you know, I moved up to North Alabama and then to Central Alabama, now to East Alabama. And, you know, one of the things I've learned is we have a, a tremendous diversity of, of bass species in Alabama, from smallmouth bass up in North Alabama to, you know, Alabama bass or what a lot of people call spotted bass in the Coosa, Calapusa, Cahaba, Black Warrior River systems. And then you've got, you know, of course, largemouth and spotted bass up in the Tennessee River system. And then uh, you've got these red-eye bass. And there's actually five different species of red-eye bass in Alabama. One have, has been extirpated. So that was the Chattahoochee bass. They don't really occur in Alabama waters anymore. But we do still have the the red-eye bass native to the Cahaba, the Black Warrior, the Coosa, and the Tallapoosa River systems. And those are each a unique species, not a subspecies, of red-eye bass that exist kind of in the upper you know, tributaries of each of those main river systems in Alabama. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, the water's um, a lot different than most people think of when you're, when you're fishing for bass. It's not a big lake with lily pads and you know, we just bass fishing in Alabama is kind of synonymous with larger reservoirs and you know, Lake Gunnersville and places that are kind of famous for bass fishing. But uh, this is totally different. So this is, you know, strictly a river species that you're only going to find in streams. They don't exist in reservoirs. And it's really kind of become popular with fly anglers because this fish, you know, living in these small streams really has a very high insect diet and so this is topwater terrestrial aquatic insects as well as you know the various larval and nymph stages of those insects that are in the water and that's the type of things that fly fishermen typically imitate with flies are topwater you know and subsurface aquatic and terrestrial insects and so the fish is already geared to you know consume on those sorts of things as its primary uh, diet and fly anglers like to imitate those things primarily when they fish. And so it's just kind of a, a match made in heaven. And it, it doesn't hurt that the fish is extremely 
aggressive and a voracious feeder, um, often as soon as your fly hits the water, this fish will, you know, go out of the water to get the fly. Um, so a lot of aerial jumps. Once you hook them, you know, they, they've got the fight of smallmouth bass. Obviously, they don't get as big, but they've got that same just never give up mentality. And it's just a lot of fun to, to fish for these, you know, beautiful, colorful little fish in these picturesque streams with a fly rod. And this fish is, you know, jumping and thrashing, trying to get away. Uh, so it's just a really unique experience. And they, they don't get very big. So that's another thing I think that has discouraged a lot of people for fishing for them. Um, again, recalibrating from our bass fishing mind, we like to pursue things that are big and get big. So we always want to catch the bigger largemouth, bigger mean spotted bass, and we want to catch a lot of those things. And red-eye bass requires you to kind of, you know, tone down those expectations because they don't get bigger than typically 10, 11 inches. You know, a 12-inch fish is a real trophy. Um, and so, you know, you're you're not pursuing a fish for its size, but more about the, the overall experience of where the fish lives, you know, it's a native fish, native to Alabama, and you're in some of the most, you know, wild places that we have left here, and certainly some of the most beautiful places we have left, um, you know, just, just catching a fish. Um, so that's kind of the, the overall, what I like to, you know, how I like to sell red-eye bass fishing. Yeah, well, well, tell me a little bit, because it, it sounds very, very different from bass fishing, so what what would be the the gear if somebody wanted to get into fly fishing here in Alabama that that sounds like you know most of of what the action is going to be is either like you were talking about those those brim you know your lap amid japan fish mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to be targeting brim and you're going to be targeting red eyed bass which you say don't don't get huge you know 10 or 12 inches so what if somebody wanted to to kind of dip their toe into it? If somebody wanted said, "Well, I want to, I'm going to start fly fishing," you know, I'm going to start wading some of those mm-hmm. little little backwater creeks and stuff up there. What what should they go out and and buy? Like what what's the what's the minimum gear that you would need to get started in chasing red eye bass? Sure. Well, before I go into that, I do want to say that it's you know while I prefer fly fishing for anything, and mm-hmm. I'm just you know that's the way I fish now. Um, you don't have to fly fish for them. So I think a lot of times when I'm talking about fly fishing for red eye bass, people are thinking that I'm, I'm saying that's the only way you can do it. There are plenty of people that pursue red eye bass with small ultralight tackle, um, whether it's a spinning rod, typically it's a spinning rod, um, with little small crankbaits or jigs or Texas rig worms. I mean, it, you can do all of that and catch these fish. So I just want to put that out there sure so so you could you could get started in it if say for example if you've got crappie gear if you've got something where you can pitch some little crappie jigs or beetle spins under spins or like finesse bass fishing stuff you could go catch red eye bass on that for example okay absolutely and and i've fished with some people that don't fly fish and they you know they fish usually with a uh, like a topwater buzz bait or you know some sort of crankbait or you know, like I said, a jig, you'll spin. I mean, there's, there's, you know, I, I'm not the person to talk to for non-fly fishing uh, pursuits, but I mean, all that stuff that's very familiar to the Alabama bass angler, creek angler, um, will work for red eye bass. So the, I think the difference is the waters where they typically occur are just not the waters that people are, are usually targeting. 
So we'll talk about that, I guess, after. But so for if you do want to try fly fishing specifically, um, and you're you're curious about you know how that works. I mean, the the basic difference between fly fishing and you know conventional fishing is, you know, in conventional fishing the lure or bait that you're throwing is weighted, and the line is not. With fly fishing, the line is weighted, and typically your fly or whatever you have on the other end of your line at its terminus is unweighted. So the casting mechanics to be able to throw that weighted line is something that it, it requires a lot of practice. People can't just pick it up and, and do it. Um, you've got to learn to cast, but there's a lot of places you can, you know, fly shops across Alabama where you can get help with casting instruction or, you know, on Facebook, Alabama fly fishing, there's a group where you might be able to find someone that lives close to you that can, can help you out, but you don't have to buy you know, a thousand dollar fly rod to start fly fishing. There's fly rods, um, Temple Fork Outfitters, Epic, the Alabama company called Calico Fly Rods, some custom rod builders, Blue Water Rod Company. I mean, there's a whole host of options that you can get a fly rod for, you know, around a hundred dollars, maybe, maybe a little under 200, you know, somewhere that hundred, two hundred dollar range. And then your real typically it's just to hold your line. It doesn't really do anything other than hold your line for this type of fishing. So you can get away with buying a cheap, you know, fifty dollar reel, hundred dollar reel, and and you'll be you'll be set. And so you typically don't need a lot of gear besides your fly rod and reel with line, other than maybe some top water like poppers are really, really common for these fish because of their aggressive top water takes. You really can just fish poppers and catch these fish without doing anything else. But if you want to, you know, throw different things, you can throw streamer patterns, which imitate bait fish. Typically, those are made of feathers or, or fur. And you can also uh, throw crayfish imitations, same thing, feather, fur, with a little bit of weight added to it to kind of keep it closer to the bottom. So there's a lot of ways you can you can target these fish with a fly rod, but I think the the barrier to entry for most folks is that ability to cast a fly rod, so being able to put the fly where you want it. Um, and then that just initial cost maybe for, for purchasing even what's considered an entry level fly rod reel outfit, you're still looking, you know, total for probably $150, $250 uh, for the cheapest option. I got you. And what I know they make fly rods in sizes all the way from, you know, little bitty zero weight, you know, one weight mm-hmm. pan fish rods all the way up to some big behemoths that I see people down here, you know, catching bull rads on. You know, I know that's a thing. Uh some guys like to do Peter Jordan, we're gonna have him on uh as a guest today. And and where where in that spectrum would, would red eye bass fall? Is that gonna be a fairly light, light setup, heavier setup, like what what would you recommend starting out with? Like a three weight, five weight, where whereabouts would that fall? Yeah, so I forgot to mention that when I was talking about um, rod and reel. So it depends on the water that you're fishing, and it depends on the the size flies that you're you're throwing. Ultimately, it really depends on the size flies you're wanting to throw, um, which may be dictated by the waters you fish. What I like to do if I'm fishing a small stream, so these are your like tributary streams that. You know, you can, uh, I don't know how wide they are off the top of my head, but, you know, smaller streams, I like to use a three or four weight. I just think that, um, you, you know, you, you feel the five of the fish a little bit better and it's, 
you know, it can certainly throw the smaller poppers. I usually throw like a size eight popper. And so a three to four weight's really, really good. And you can use those on a larger river, but sometimes with the larger rivers, you're casting a little bit further. Um, and so you need a rod with a little bit more backbone uh, to send those flies over those distances. And so uh, if I'm fishing a larger river, I usually like to fish a five weight. A six weight would almost be overkill to me if you're just targeting red eye. If you're just fishing for whatever, you know, bass in the river system, a five or six weight would be a really good option. But I, I would say, you know, I rarely would go over a five weight. Uh, it's kind of overkill for this type of fishing. I got you. Well, Matt, if, if somebody wanted to go out this weekend and, and try to catch some flies, and I'm actually, I'm, I'm thinking I'm being selfish because I've actually got a sister who's, who's working on her PhD. She's an ornithologist up there at Auburn. So I could always uh, see about going and crashing with her maybe. So if, if somebody mm-hmm. wanted to go catch some red-eye bass, make a weekend trip, what would be your tips? Where would be a good waterway to, to start? I'm not looking for your, your secret spot, but just as far as a general place to, to go start looking for them and just as far as what would be your best bet if somebody's never done it before and they wanted to go out this weekend and catch one, what would be your general strategy? Yeah, so two of the waterways that have some of the you know, best access points as well as, as red-eye bass populations are uh, the Cahaba River near Birmingham and also the Tallapoosa River. Um, and so, you know, you can, you can look up access points for those rivers. There's, there's plenty of public access points. But again, you want to make sure you're in that water that's, you know, clear, rocky, soil-type habitat, not deep, slow-moving water. I'm not as familiar with the Cahaba, but the Tallapoosa River, there's some floats above Lake Martin that you can do. Typically, people float from Horseshoe Bend Military Park boat ramp down to Jaybird Landing. It's about a six-mile float. You know, so you do have to have some sort of watercraft to be able to, you know, kayak or canoe to make that trip. But it's a, you know, there's a lot of red-eye bass in the main river. You'll also catch bigger Alabama bass and, you know, a whole host of panfish. And right now, topwater is, you know, the fish are post-spawn and they're, they're kind of recovered from that. And so they're kind of settling into their normal summer feeding mode, which, you know, for really hot weather here in Alabama, the great thing is, is poppers, topwater. So there's a lot of grasshoppers out right now. Um, a lot of the fish are keying in on topwater insects. And so throwing a big topwater popper or frog pattern, something like that, um, to get their attention is, is really what I would use right now. I got you. Well, Matt, and, and I know we kind of, with, with time constraints on the show, trying to have multiple guests on, I, I'm, I feel like I could sit there and ask you questions about this all day. It's something I've recently took a very personal interest in. And you, you sound like the, the guy to talk to about that. But if, if readers or if listeners, excuse me, if listeners wanted to learn a little bit more, uh, where would be some good places to go? What's some resources they can check out? So I, I did write a book that I released back in 2018 on fly fishing for red-eye bass. And you can pick that up on Amazon or in your local Orvis store. Um, it's also in various fly shops throughout the state. Deep South Outfitters in Birmingham always has copies on hand. That's one option. And then also, you know, the Alabama Fly Fishing Facebook page. Um, there's a lot of people on there. There's a Fly Fishing for Red Eye Bass Facebook page. My Instagram is Red Eye Bass Fly Fishing. And I, I will have a website kind of being built. It'll be redeyebassflyfishing.com. 
that will be kind of a resource for people to learn more about this fish. So those are all good, good places to kind of start. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a good deal. Guys, y'all, you heard him. This is the guy who wrote the book on red-eye bass fishing in Alabama. Again, Matt Lewis, thanks for being on the podcast, brother. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. You have a good one. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break to check out some of this week's sponsors. This segment of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. If you own a pond or lake anywhere in the southeast, Southeastern Pond Management can evaluate the health of your pond and then work with you individually to put together the right plan to get what you want out of your body of water. Through electrofishing, liming, fertilizing, and stocking and weed control, Southeastern Pond Management is the one-stop shop to help you produce more healthy trophy fish than ever before. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call one 888 830-POND or email info at southeastpond.com. All right, guys, we are back. And for our second guest, we have Peter Jordan with Lost Angler Fly Shop down here on the Mobile Tensaw Delta. Peter, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing so good. I thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You were on the short list of guests to uh, to have down here to talk about kind of the Mobile Tensaw Delta and the Alabama Tom Bigby River system. So, uh, and I've and I've been, I know we've met a few times and I've been in your mm-hmm. fly shop and I really, really like your organization. And one of these days I'm going to go down there and get me one of them river vixen boats. So, yeah, buddy, those things are real neat. They'll let you get just about anywhere. And that's the big thing about fishing the Delta is your ability to get off that main path. Absolutely. I know we were talking just off off air, talking about getting in on some little backwater slews on a shoe pick mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And yeah, you gotta have uh you gotta have something that'll that'll get up into skinny water and do a little stump jumping up here to get to the really good stuff. You know, it's so so close to Mobile Baldwin County metro area that it's really in the past decade, like the fishing pressure has just really gone up. Yes. It really has. Bass fishing down here is just it, it, it's one of those things that's Unfortunately, to, to my mind, in fly fishing down here, we kind of overlook it. But the fact of the matter is we have an actually wonderful fishery, but you do have to treat it differently. You can't treat it like your own uh, Lake Martin or Lewis Smith or any of that. You have to understand that it's it's connected to the tides. It's connected to to, to a lot more forces than other major reservoirs even though it's such a huge expansive part of part of the state and the biggest thing that we have to look for more than anything else is is moving water and current i'm sure you've experienced this too that you can be bass fishing on the delta and you get to where you're at the peak of high tide or the trough of low tide and they just shut off right and they just shut off and we were you and i before the show started we were talking about uh water temps and, you know, we were also discussing, you know, fishing for bowfin and whatnot and just kind of going through bass real quick. The the biggest thing that we have to remember right now this time of year is, you know, we still have largemouth down here and they're still more than happy to eat. But you have to look at a couple things. We have to look at low light conditions when it's, the water's at its coolest. That was the big thing you and I talked about was just how warm the water is right now, because we'll have the surface water temp 90 degrees. But if we can get down some in the water column and we can find that moving water that's maybe adjacent to deep water, that's really when we can, you know, really zone in on what these fish are doing. Um, and I think that's a huge part of, of, of figuring out this whole game. 
walk me through if you don't mind this so talking with matt just now and and he's talking about some of the the clearer smaller bodies of water talking about we were talking about how you can you know see fish rise up and and hit a fly very different cool water i mean and i told him i'm like man it's completely different down here like our water right now looks like chocolate milk running down the riverbanks it does but all of our tributaries if you let's say you went on up baymanette creek a long ways it's going to clear up it's going to have that it's not going to be super clear like like their water is it's going to be a little bit tannin because we have blackwater rivers but let's say you're on the upper perdido you're on the upper you're on the sticks river or let's say you went way up chickasabo to where it turns into chickasaw or you went up the escatawa these rivers are going to get pretty pretty daggum clear they're going to be you can definitely watch a fish rise to your fly and you can do all the same things. You don't have to go, uh, which, by, you know, I grew up on the Cahaba, so I advocate everybody go visit it at least once. But you don't have to go all the way up there to have that same sort of experience. You know, let's say, you know, we're going to have certain rivers that are going to be very similar. So let's say we do the Perdido up above I-10. That's going to be a lot like fishing the lower Cahaba. And by lower Cahaba, I mean like uh, Perry County down. It's going to have that. It's going to be a deeper run in. It's going to be a little bit narrower. The difference is these rivers are going to be much more narrow because we don't have the limestone bottoms to spread that river out. So you can be in an area that may only be 30, 40 feet across, and it might be 8 to 10 feet. Another thing you have to remember about in the small rivers is that you'll have, because, again, we don't have that limestone, you get into a hard bend in that river, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. You go from knee deep to way over your head real fast. <laughs> right. And but no, 100 percent. And, and uh, as far as a way to beat the heat, yes, 100 percent hit those creeks, hit those rivers that run into the Delta. They run into the other parts, Perdido Bay. They run into, you know, different parts of the Gulf. And, and these are thermal refuges for these fish. You're going to find largemouth. You're going to find spotted bass. We call them Choctaw down here, uh, which is a little tiny subspecies of, of black bass. And, you know, you're also going to find, you know, Gulf strain striped bass, you know, which our uh, fisheries department's done a wonderful job with. But I do want to urge anybody that does catch a striped bass in this area, uh, please let that fish go. There are uh, right. these these fish are we're working very hard to get. We're working very hard to recover that fishery. But with the dams that are up and down the Alabama and Top Bimby rivers, we have destroyed that fishery and we're trying to rebuild it. And the guys uh, in our fisheries department do an amazing job and they are really starting to rebuild it. But we have to be very careful. Folks that want to run through here and fill up a cooler, you can destroy that fishery real fast. So by all means, go enjoy them and catch them. But please, 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 please put them back. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's something we always like to talk about here is – uh conservation efforts and like we talked last time uh last week we was on with dip mcmillan talking about his kids program so we definitely advocate you know responsibility of sportsmen you know it's it's yeah, consumptive so, use and, and it I doesn't have to I, be completely consumptive so uh, yeah you can keep you know you could you know you can keep one or two i would i would give it a little while longer for that fishery to recover personally especially if you catch them in some of those tributaries like we were talking about these fish are trying desperately to get into a thermal refuge and also to you know if you do catch one of these Gulf Strain striped bass, keep them in the water. Take a picture in the water. Keep that fish in the water because they they will give you everything they've got, but they're not super hot water tolerant. These fish came around Florida in the last ice age, and they got stuck here. And so these 
you know, it, it is separate from Atlantic fish, but they are very similar. And these are wonderful fish for fly rods, too, because, you know, you're throwing flies that are pretty easy to throw in general. Sometimes you're throwing big flies. That's a fish that really targets in super hard on a particular size forage. And they are probably the pickiest fish in lower Alabama. I've got no doubt of that. Right. What what would be, Peter, some of your tips? I know everybody I've talked to for the past couple of weeks, we've had so much rain down here, uh, particularly mm-hmm. down in Baldwin, Mobile County. And the water's super high. Like I said, it looks like chocolate milk. But you were saying that you're that getting into those backwater, of course, that's going to clear up first. If there was somebody who was looking to go out this weekend and down here local, kind of the southwestern part of the state, but all the way up, like you said, up, up Cahaba, you know, Tennessee, uh, not Tennessee River, but the Tom Bigby, excuse me, the Tom Bigby and the Alabama River systems up there. What what would be kind of kind of your advice if they pick some of that water that's clearing up first, and they wanted to go up there and and do a little little fly fishing for bass right now with this time of the year? What would be your recommendations? What would be your go to? What'd be the first thing that you threw if you went up there looking for bass? It really depends on time of day. The first thing you want to do is just be open to checking out different places. Uh, Alabama has wonderful water water rights access. If the waterway is considered navigable and you can access, and by navigable in Alabama, we mean that you can flow the log down it. Uh, we have very loose navigable waterway laws in Alabama, which is great. And that's a result of the uh, timber industry that was a big part of our state's history. But if you can access it from the public right away, you can go enjoy that water. So uh, be on the Google Maps. Be looking around. If you could park on that shoulder of the road and walk down and access it without going over that, you know, 20, your right of ways within 20 feet of the road. And if you can get down there, you can go enjoy that river. You cannot get outside of the banks. You need to stay in the river. Uh, otherwise, you're trespassing. But 100%, start looking. Start going further upstream. So look closer to those headwaters. Those areas are going to clear out the fastest. If I'm in a big, if I'm in the Delta, I'm going to start looking, uh, the vegetation that you and I talked about that's such a big part of the Delta is actually going to be what first clears out. It's going to help us out tremendously. So let's say you're in the Alabama River. I'm just going to say from Selma, Montgomery down. The main Alabama River right now, they're going to be holding a lot of water in the dams. And then the Cahaba River is going to have, especially the lower section down there, is going to have really really blown out just because it's just not flushing because the dams are holding the water before it goes down it's not going to clear as quickly so you really need to look at those tributaries that are going to be feeding into those waters uh once i get down there uh one of the the big things that i like to do is if i'm in the earlier part of the day that more low light i really love throwing a nice top water pattern and by which you could throw uh, a boggle bug ken edmund stealth bomber uh uh, frog, you know, whatever you want to do. And, and I urge people that are bass fishing with a fly rod, don't think of it as being something so terribly different than what you would normally do with your spinning and bait casting tackle. If you're looking at that water and saying, man, I, I would throw a zoom fluke in here. Wonderful. Throw a deceiver. If you're thinking, man, I'd, I'd throw a jitterbug in here. Wonderful. Throw a gurgler. So there's, there's flies that are going to kind of, you know, do about the same basic idea. So don't think of it as being something so terribly different than your bass fishing. Uh, just think of 
how you would attack it and look at the flies in your box and think about what that might be the best way. As that sun comes up, though, I'm going to start working my way down the water column just like you would do for ordinary bass fishing. Uh, so like you might and then switch over to Clouserman if something's going to have that jigging action, get on down. And then once it gets really the sun's up real high, those bass are going to stay in real tight to cover. I would probably switch over to a crawfish imitation, just like you would bounce jig and cover. There's no difference. So you're Perfect. doing the same stuff. If we're in the Delta, we have to remember that vegetation is such a large part of what we do. Uh, so just like you might throw a swim bait earlier in the morning, something that you can wake, throw that bigger fly, make sure you've got something that's got a good weed guard on it and really push it into heavy cover. Whereas I'm in a small creek or tributary for bass, I'm using a six weight. Uh, you could probably go lighter, but it, you're throwing weighted flies and the six weight makes it a lot easier to get that job done. Uh, whereas if I'm in the Delta, I'm throwing much larger flies. I need to pull fish out of cover. I'm generally throwing an eight weight. So look, get out of that main body of water, go to those tributaries, find that clean water and make sure you've got water that's moving and the high, the more water that's moving the higher the oxygen level the lower the water temp the more success you're going to have with fish i like it that's good information well peter if uh, people wanted to hear more from you kind of follow along with you fishing or if they wanted to check out your fly shop what's a good way to reach out to you uh definitely stop by the shop here in daphne we're on us highway 98 but if you have any questions you can email me at lostanglerflies at gmail.com or you can uh give me a buzz on at the shop at 251-520-8975 and super happy to answer any questions anybody's got and you're always welcome to come into the store learn how to tie patterns come into the shop get your casting better and i've said this before and i'll say it again our little area of lower alabama is a lot like a seasonal menu on your favorite restaurant you may not always be the best time of year to get oysters but if you're open open to what you're looking for and you're you know welcome to think, okay, well, this may not be the best time for redfish, but it opens up a ton of new opportunities. There we go. Well, Peter, I've enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate you being on the podcast. And guys, be sure to go check them out. Nick, such a pleasure. And, if, and again, y'all can follow the shop on social media at Lost Angler. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, buddy. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear from some of our sponsors. And then we're going to be up with our next guest, Mr. Brandon Jackson with Riverside Fly Shop. This episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoon boats to bigger bay boat and offshore hybrids. L&M Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the surrounding community. L&M Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, finance experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessories staff to fully support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff today. L&M Marine is located six miles north of I-10 at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama. You can also reach them by phone at 251-937-1380. All right, guys, we are back. We're talking with Mr. Brandon Jackson, who owns the Riverside Fly Shop. Brandon, how are you doing today? Pretty good. It's been a good day. Good. Have y'all been uh, uh, y'all far enough north? Y'all been avoiding some of that nasty weather been sweeping through on us? We had a trip this morning, got rained on pretty good for about an hour, but uh, it didn't hurt the fish any. So we, we, we suffered through it, and, uh, and it was a good day. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Well, 
I'm really excited to have you on um, because I'm I'm a new fly fisherman and I've just really gotten into it. I enjoy down here. We catch a lot of uh, sunfish. I've been catching long-eared sunfish and red-spotted sunfish, bluegill, all all the lepimids, right? And that whole family right. been catching some bass. But I've got trout fever, which is a really hard itch to scratch this far south unless you're looking for speckled trout. Right. And uh, I got to reading on Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. And there's apparently a place where we can go catch rainbow trout in Alabama. There is. Well, what can uh, you tell me about that? <laughs> one spot that's year round. Um, so when Smith Lake was built, uh, they put in a deep water pole. So uh, the water comes through the dam really deep and that allows it to cool off and stay cold. And so year round, our temperature here in the water is in the 50s or so. And uh, and that provides an opportunity for um, for the rainbow trout. And so we're, we're the... The only place in Alabama where year round you're going to see that. And so the stream has been improved. There's a lot of, of cool things that have gone on over the years. Um, it's grown and, and done better. And then um, the stocking occurs once a month, which allows for, um, for people to be able to come and fish for them. That, that all sounds like good things. 50 degree water though. I won't lie. Like I, I end up praying for cool water a lot down here, but 50 is a, uh... That's not cool water. That's cold water. It is. It will. Uh, if you put your hand in it for too long, it'll bite. You know, it, uh, you want waders and boots. Um, most people do. Uh, I can't I can't go out and get uh, get very deep in that water without without some kind of protection. I would imagine, which is totally different from down here. Like I, I do sure. a good bit of wade fishing in some of the little smaller sandy rivers and you, you just go, you know, like we're well, really down here. The, the biggest concern for me is is alligators or Vibrio or or just right. not knowing what that is squishing up between my toes in the bottom. But what a, I mean, it's, it's so different. Like we talk so much with guys who are bass guys, crappie guys, catfish guys. And to my knowledge, maybe I haven't listened to our full backlog. The prior host, Brian may have done something, uh, but, but trout, man, that is freshwater trout. Rainbow trout is completely different than anything else you can do anywhere here in the state. What, what's that like? I mean, I know the, the gear's different. Like you mentioned, waders, insulated boots, what, what do, what do people need to know about going up there if they decide to try to capitalize on this opportunity? Yeah. So, um, a lot of the, the skill and technique and things are, they're similar, but different. And so you, you know, trout fishing is unique because we're fishing for a fish that is bug focused. Um, now the, the um, sunfish that we were talking about earlier, they, you know, they'll hit bugs, but they're still kind of ambushing stuff. They're, they're looking for, you know, small fry and things like that a lot of times. And so they're, you know, they're holding to structure and they're looking for ambush points and, and those kinds of things versus the trout who are truly, really in the current waiting for the, the, the insect life to float to them. And that's what makes trout fishing unique and makes it different, makes it uh, a, a little bit of a challenge, but a challenge that isn't insurmountable. Um, once you start to figure some things out, you, you get used to the casting, you get accustomed to the, the way the fish are holding in the river. You, you just, you're still, you're still casting a fly line. You're still making drifts. Uh, it's just changing a little, you know, little things and, and getting your mind focused on what those fish are doing versus what you might be used to in other water. So, so they're not like, you know, I know bass down here. Um, and I was talking actually the other day, 
I can't remember. Can't remember his name. I need to go back and look through the notes. But uh, we were talking about spotted bass, and he was talking about them roaming in in wolf packs, um, kind yeah. of in deep water on the ledges of the lake, like actively hunting for prey. That's a. It's right. you're saying trout are very different. They're more sit and wait, or what's what's their yeah. strategy for eating? So uh, rainbow trout specifically will eat bug life its entire life so it doesn't matter if that thing gets up to 30 pounds it's still going to be focused a lot on insects um so a lot of times you'll hear the term um matching the hatch and the meaning behind that is the trout are typically focused on a insect that goes through different life cycles and so uh, it may be an adult it may be a pupa it may be an egg sitting on the bottom and the trout is is figuring out a way to feed consistently and um those bugs are are made to move through that life cycle um based on i guess a little bit in terms of when it was um when it was born or, or laid as an egg but a lot of it has to do with temperature and sunlight and things like that so you'll get a good number of bugs that all change in terms of that, of that life cycle at once. So there'll be eggs for a while. And then all at once the sun hits the water, the temperatures get right and they all emerge into a nymphal stage. And at that point, the trout are really focused on that nymphal stage of that specific bug's life. And they're really feeding on it because they're in the river in abundance. And then, you know, an hour later, the sun may start to change a little bit may get behind some clouds and the adults really um, come to the forefront. And so then you'll see the fish coming up to the surface and eating the adults as they try to get into the air and fly off. And, um, and they just, they get focused on the food that is available to them because they're eating a lot of it and being able to use a fly or a pattern that matches what that fish is looking for is what makes fly fishing so much fun, but also what makes a trout angler with a fly rod so successful. It, it sounds like a lot of fun. And, and just talking about that kind of matching the hatch a little bit. So like we've, we've talked about mainly bass fishing down here in the Southern part of the state, both like largemouth and, and some red eye bass. And, and today we've had conversations about, um, your streamer type flies, you know, clouds sure. and stuff like that. We've talked about the topwater bugs and me as a panfish guy, that, that's usually the first thing I'm throwing is seeing if I can coax, coax out that topwater bite with some goofy little topwater spider legged thing. It's not really imitating anything, right? You're not matching anything with a chartreuse or black or white, you know, popper. Um, you're just trying to get that, get that reaction. So if, right. if we were going to go up there this weekend, and, and maybe it's not that type of thing. Like it sounds like it can be an hour by hour instead of a week by week or day by day change. But, but right now, recently, like you talked about going out this morning, what, what was it taken to match that hatch? So there are a few consistent flies, uh, a few patterns that will, um, that should always be available to the fish. Um, the primary one, anytime you've got a hydroelectric dam that you're fishing behind, which is what we're doing here, you're going to see midge flies. And um, the thing about the midge is it's a very small bug. Uh, and in comparison to the uh, the willow flies or the mayflies that get much bigger, this one stays pretty small. But using, so I'm going to add a different pattern or a different way of fishing to the, to the styles that you've mentioned, dry fly or streamer. 
we're going to add to that a nymph and an indicator. And uh, what that does is it is a tool to allow the fly to float downstream under the surface. So we're fishing subsurface, but we're not making it move. We're imitating that bug as it is floating down the stream, trying to get to the surface. And so the current is just shoving it and it is floating. And we're trying to imitate with a midge nymph that same style. And that's what we had success on today. It's it's a pattern and a style of fishing that's going to work very consistently here. And uh, and one that probably over the over the course of years that the trout have been in this river has produced more consistent action than than just about anything else. Really? Well, that's that's good to know. That's exactly the type of information that we're looking for. Some other questions. So so like your your fly rod weight has come up a couple times today. Um, sure. We we talked with Matt earlier about you know, red eye bass, little 10 to 12 inch fish. And he was saying that usually he'd fish for something like a three or a four. Um, talking with Pete down here, uh, Peter Jordan talking about bigger bass, you know, moving up to something like a six weight or something like that. What, what would you say is about the sweet spot up there catching those rainbow trout? A uh, four weight. Four, four weight's going to be, yeah, that's going to let you uh, throw some dry flies with some delicacy. Mm-hmm. But it's also going to um, allow you to throw nymph and indicator, which is you know a little heavier rig, um, and that four weight line will carry that heavier weight of the nymph and the indicator. Okay, and and are there any concerns kind of looping back earlier? We talked about cold water, um, and I'm asking selfish questions because I'm really looking at trying to get up there at some point and do <laughs> sure. this because uh, I, I love that general part of the world right like me and my wife we go backpacking up there at bankhead all the time oh yeah Um, and it's it's a pretty place and i know the water's cold and it's quick that's not something we're really used to down here so with that cold quick water and waiting in it are there any safety concerns being up there so you always keep an eye out for the generation schedule so it's a hydroelectric dam there's two units where they generate electricity here um, and what you're looking for if you're wanting to do wade fishing is for both of those units to be off. You do not want them to be generating electricity while you're trying to wade. It's just too fast and too high. So we typically fish when um, when they are not generating for wading. You can fish with it on. It's just it's more difficult and you're not going to be able to get out into the river and wade out very far. So that's what we're really looking for. Is it a safety concern? Absolutely. You know, anytime you're on the water and conditions can change quickly like that, you want to be aware, you want to watch out for it. Is it something to be frightened of or scared of? No. As long as you are aware, as long as you are conscious of it, and as soon as you hear the siren or you hear see a change in the water um, in terms of how quick it's going or how high it's rising, you want to get out of the water. You know, you just get to the bank and get vertical, you know, get higher sure. and you're fine. Um, but, but you do want to check that generation schedule. You want to be aware of it. And then you want to kind of stay aware of it while you're out there and, and never put yourself in a situation where it could become a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that can, that can be a thing down here. We got dams on the Alabama, the Tom Bigby and, uh, sure. It, it's that, that water man is something like when they, when they start pulling water, it, it can change really fast and especially in a small boat here on the river that can get really dangerous really quick. Right. Can you talk to me a little bit about, I know a lot of guys that we talked to were, it's very seasonal right down here. Water temperatures change or like I was just talking with Peter and he was talking about how the tide changed. 
river levels change throughout the year. It's very seasonal. If you're pulling deep water from that lake and you're saying it's more or less constantly 50 degrees year round and they're stocking these trout monthly and correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like it would make for a pretty stable fishery. Like there, there, is there a major difference between doing that in the middle of summer versus Christmas or does it stay more or less constant? The, the thing that changes is the pressure. Um, the more pressure we have, the more difficult it gets. Um, but that's the, that's the real, that is the only real change. It is highly affected by how many people we have fishing just because the water is super clear. And, uh, and when they're not generating, it's only moving at about a hundred CFS. So it's moving, but it's not moving really fast. So they really see folks as they walk the riverbanks mm-hmm. and, um, and they do get affected by that. But that would, I would say that that's our primary thing that changes the season. And so in the summer, it can be a little more difficult just based on how many people are fishing. And then, you know, late fall, once, once people get their interest peaked with, uh, with deer hunting and Alabama football and Auburn football and, and all the other interests, it, you know, it slows down a little bit on the river and, um, and makes it a little easier. I think, uh, the only problem with that is sometimes you have to contend with the winter rains. And so you get, you know, those, those generation periods where they're generating for a week at a time. And that can be a bit of a bummer, but uh, those they'll cut them off at some point and then you can get back out there and start fishing again. Absolutely. Well, if somebody wanted to go up there and uh, I know that you do, you, you run a fly shop. Um, and I know that you do guided trips. If somebody wanted to come and check out your fly shop or book a trip, what'd be the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, phone is great. Two, five, six, two, eight, seven, nine, five, eight, two. Uh, email is riversideflyshop at gmail.com or our website, riversideflyshop.com. Awesome. Well, folks, definitely go check it out. It's a really unique opportunity up there. It's one I personally am definitely planning on hitting up later this year. Brandon, it's been awesome talking to you. I appreciate having you on the podcast. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Killer Dock. I hadn't even realized how bad it was. I was cleaning fish on rotten wood And after cleaning just a few fish, I was filthy, and I had a sudden burn. I tried wearing a hat, but it just couldn't keep me cool. And how was I supposed to clean fish without getting messy? Killer Dock brings the upgrade that not only will keep you cool and clean, it'll make being on your dock more enjoyable. Killer Dock combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDock.com to check out the greatest fish cleaning stations known to mankind. And brought to you by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rigs using traditional scent strips for pompano or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Family owned and operated in St. Augustine, Florida, they pride themselves on making reliably consistent fishing products for anglers of all ages all around the world. Fish Bites baits and lures are made with pride in the Sunshine State here in USA. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. All right, guys, we're back, and this time we are talking with Stephen Rockarts, and he is with Fly Fishing Alabama. Stephen, how are you doing today, brother? Man, I'm doing pretty good. I'd be a lot better if I was in the water, but... <laughs> I, I heard that. Well, what, uh, tell, tell our listeners, what, what body of water is that that you'd rather be on? Man, I'll tell you what, I, uh, I do a lot of fishing on uh, the Cahaba River, I focus on the upper tributaries to it, the lower tributaries to it, and the main body itself, all the way from Irondale Trustful all the way down to Centerville. 
and uh, I target fish mostly on the on the fly rod, but I do conventional fishing too. I've got a lifetime background of that. I like kayak fishing. I've I've been doing that for a really long time and targeting bass and um, and this this time of year, not just bass, but long nose gar is, is kind of my my key element, and I've been dialing in on that a little bit more, and uh, and it's just that's that's kind of like my bread and butter right there. Well, well, tell me, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's let's start with the strangest thing. So you talk about targeting gar. So so you're you're looking out. If I got some good gar holes, you'll swap me good good bass fishing spots, right? Because I know all of us got some gar holes. That's right. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'll trade you one. Hey, hey, I, hey. Gar fishing is a is a different animal. You know, it's so much fun, and I I kind of call gar fishing it for us here in Central and and even just in Alabama, excuse me, Alabama in general, you know, we don't have, you know, muskie or pike. Uh, we have chain pickerel, but they don't get substantially large. You can target gar. Uh, it's not necessarily the same eat, but uh, the fish is a little bit more subtle, but the fight is, I mean, I'd say it's, I'd say it's similar. It's, a, it's an excellent fight. They'll, if you let them run you down, they'll take you to some backing on your fly line. and It's just a blast. I, I had one last week about pulling me out of the boat. I, I can testify gar are a lot of fun I, I catch them down here on the delta all the time uh you have some days where realistically if you don't want to fish for gar you may as well go home i've had a lot of mornings where as it starts heating up that just that just becomes the thing to do you know you're sitting there in the backwaters and you're you're looking at them through your polarized lenses and uh you're right they do fight well they're they're a pretty 40 fish yeah it's a pretty sporty fish not a super long fight, but it's it's a good fight there for the first few seconds. So has has been my experience. They uh they seem like they they tuck her out on the quick side. And uh, tell me what's what's your secret? I've I've tried different things over the years with various amounts of success, but and I really got a good look at it about two years ago. Uh, I do a little Euro taxidermy, and I tried to do a Euro mount for a guy who had caught a big like an eight nine foot alligator gar. And it didn't wow. really pan out. The only thing that, that was really salvageable was his lower jawbone, which was still pretty cool. But like when you're when you're cleaning that fish, you realize it's just all bone and, and like heavy cartilage. How are you getting a hook in that thing? Right. So that that took a little bit more um, practice, uh, but, you know, just experimenting different techniques. Obviously, I like to fish. Probably the majority of people that are listening to this like to fish and we like to preserve our fisheries and, and do our best to take care of the fish. That way we can catch them again or somebody else can catch them again. Uh, worst case scenario, they go in the fryer and that's a good thing as long as it's a crappie, a brim <laughs> or a pond that's being managed for bass. Sure. But um, what I've, what I've learned is that gar, like you said, they're, they're substantially bony and they're super toothy. Um, and what happens is lots of people like to target them with uh, rope flies or just pieces of rope if you're fishing conventional gear. It's the exact same technique or method, but that tends to get tangled up in the fish's mouth. You know, you, you let them eat it, drag it across in front of them, they eat it, you put gentle pressure on it, and they kind of they kind of thrash on that thing and get it all tangled up in their teeth. And then when it's time to get that out of their, out of their jaw, um, you kind of put yourself at risk. And you don't know how many teeth you're going to rip out of that fish's mouth, especially if you had a longer piece of rope, et cetera. But um, what I've learned is that if you can dial in on them, now still fish large streamer patterns, which is a, kind of the equivalent to like a, a swim bait for conventional fishing, large streamer patterns, pattern stuff that's like maybe four, five, maybe six inches long, somewhere in that range. They particularly like darker colors. So you can go 
black and purple. You can go black and red. You can do um, just complete black, but add a little bit of flash in there to it. Get their attention. Um, they'll hit reds and oranges too, uh, and they'll hit whites. But those are pretty much the most consistent colors that I found. Um, the trick to it, though, to actually getting the fish on the end of your line is, that I found is using very sharp and thin barbless hooks. The barbless hook tends to set much easier through those through that bone, through the jaw. If it can find a little area to push in, it'll push all the way through. And then the only thing that's left there is just, you know, proper management and retrieval of the fish. You know, keep pressure on it, bring it in. It may buck on you a few times. You may lose the, the gar. But when you get it in the boat and you need to or in the net and you need to take it out of its mouth, it, it's a game changer. It's, it is easy to take it out. Half the time it falls out after it's in the net. So well, that's I'll, what I've figured out. I'm, I'm definitely going to have to look for some of those light wire barbless hooks then because we, we have a huge opportunity here with long nose and spotted gar. And uh, I've, I've got a little girl and it's I'm, she's too little to go fishing now, but like you're starting to think, okay, well, how can I build up? a list of things that are very high success rates, you know, like how do I ensure against, uh, you know, fishless trips, you know, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, and you mentioned that you did a lot of kayak fishing up there on the Cahaba. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Right. So probably, um, and most people that have fished on, you know, skinny streams or, or smaller water, they can kind of attest to this, but managing a kayak and moving water and fishing with it is a little bit of a challenge. You kind of throw that extra element in there. Well, I like to make things a little bit harder. So I throw a fly rod on top of it. <laughs> I don't know why I do that to myself, but I do. So, um, you know, developing a side cast is, is absolutely crucial. Um, otherwise you, you won't be able to, uh, cast very far at all. Your back cast will always be kind of hitting whatever's behind you or getting on top of the water and, and creating unnecessary drag. But, um, you know, Positioning your kayak is probably the hardest thing, uh, and just being able to read the water. Uh, you come real accustomed to back paddling and kind of targeting the, the pools of the slower areas, but I've had some of the best luck just letting the, ta- the water take me at its speed and um, just hitting the banks, working the banks, working the banks, working the banks all the way down the river, uh, depending whether or not it's top water or um, subsurface will determine how fast I actually hit the banks, but it's it's fun. Kayak fishing is fun. When you when you hook into a good three, three and a half pound Alabama bass, which is formerly known as a spot, but we've determined they're Alabama bass now for the Mobile Basin at least, those fish will turn you around about three times. And they just Goodness. they'll dog you. They're a mean green fish, man. They are mean. I've I've noticed a lot of times that, that those small fish that you have in, in backwaters, clean, clear water. I guess it's just good, clean living, right? Just just gives them a, a disproportionate amount of fight once you set the hook in them. So uh, I know that you do some some guide fishing up there. When you when you take clients out, do y'all wade fish? Do you uh do you take them out in kayaks? How do you do that? Right. So I've done kayaks in the past, and that works as long as you don't have someone that's a novice to to navigating the water. Uh, but most of the time I'll, I'll use a canoe if the water's a little bit skinnier and, and I navigate everything. If not, I use a, a raft. I've got a, a fishing raft or a fly fishing raft, whatever you want to call it. It's outfitted with a frame and you can, you can stand up on it. You can target anything you want to. And, and it makes you know, fishing on moving water substantially easier. There's an anchoring system and everything. You can, you can pull up at the base of a shoal where you see the perfect eddy. Uh, and you can drop that anchor and you can drop that fly right there at the, at the top of that shoal where the water starts churning and, and that water can push your fly down if you're fishing streamers. And man, you can, you can pull some pretty great fish out of some areas as long as you, 
you know, you, you target it appropriately and you, you're mindful of your approach <clears throat> to the water. You obviously don't want to disturb too much surface on the smaller um, streams, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great. So most, most of the time it's the raft. Sometimes it's the canoe and um, kayaks are typically just for, I guess, a, a more experienced client that really wants to pick something apart and wants just coaching and doesn't necessarily want me to be in the boat with them. Sure. Yeah, I can, I can see that. That's a, that's a lot to handle. Uh, I, I can't imagine just the little bit of kayak fishing that I have done trying to paddle and then trying to cast a fly rod and then Lord help you once you hook a fish. <laughs> it, it, I, I, I just, Oh, it's making my blood pressure go up. Just thinking about it. Uh, that's do, right, you, man. <laughs> do you ever, do you ever use, do you, you always paddle your kayaks or have you messed with any of the pedal drive systems? Does that make things easier on you or? That's a great question. Um, most of the water that I target and, and, you know, fish on, which is the Cahaba, I also fish Locust Fork and other surrounding bodies of water. But most of the time, if I'm fishing moving water, there are going to be several parts on it that are just too shallow or where you have to drag your kayak through, depending on the season of the year. And the pedal drive seems like it would be a little bit more cumbersome and, and get in the way. And you may, you may, get, you may hit too many obstacles um, just because of the water levels. So I stay away from that. I typically just manage the water with my with my paddle i just use a just a regular kayak paddle and turning around pointing your nose upstream is is the best way to save your your uh your energy that's for sure especially if you're in an eddy never fish the eddy as you're, you're going down river just get down there to the bottom of the eddy turn around put your boat in that seam and then if you can put your boat in that seam, leave that paddle on your lap you can usually get a few good casts in that hole and kind of pick it apart the way you want to if it's if it's that shallow are you usually fishing from the kayak or are you just using your kayak as a quicker way to get the stuff and navigate deeper parts of the river and and stepping out of it to fish it seems to me like that would be easier and i've done some of that down here on the sepulga you know just just kind of bounce from sandbar to sandbar from riffle section to riffle section or or is it up there on the cahaba i'm not familiar is it is it rocky bottom sandy bottom mucky bottoms it's mostly rocky bottom. We're 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 within the fall line, so we're we're still above the fall line. So it's mostly rocky bottoms and things like that. And you know, it dials down to dealer's choice. So um, if if you want to get out and, and and pick a couple spots apart and really take your time and dial it in, that's perfectly fine with me. Um, and and I do that sometimes myself too. I usually only do that if I'm if I'm if I'm going to wade and bring my kayak and I'm going to focus on wading mostly. I'll typically just go upriver and I'll wade from hole to hole um and paddle up through the dead water and then at the end of the day i'll just float back down but most of the time at least in my experience the more ground you cover the more opportunity you have to catch fish bass are are smart they're not they're not stupid fish and they'll give you one or two chances and that's and that's just about it you can you can switch up your lures and or your flies and you can try to dial in on them a little bit more but majority of the time especially with alabama bass you're probably wasting your time so uh, if you miss a fish, you miss a fish, um, maybe try a different technique. And then, and then at that point, it's just time to move on. <laughs> it's right. disappointing, but yeah, so covering ground is probably the most important thing. So I don't spend much time stopping and waiting. I typically just um, stay in the boat if I can. No, I understand. Well, well I, I could talk all day. All of this is interesting. I love fishing small waters. I love small boats. I've owned a whole flotilla of them over the years, just buying and trying and horse trading. But if, if our readers are interested, if they'd like to maybe book a, a float trip with you, where's a good place to reach out to you? Right. So um, thank you for asking. I'm on uh, Instagram as Fly Fishing Alabama. I'm on Facebook as Fly Fishing Alabama LLC. 
And then I also have a website, which is www.flyfishingalabama.com. And you can reach out any of those ways. Um, I stay fairly booked up, so uh, I may put you on a list. But um, if I put you on a list, I'll, I'll definitely call you. And I'll see if I can figure out a fishing trip with you. But that's usually the easiest way to, to get in touch with me. And I have my, my phone number and everything listed on the website if someone just wanted to call and pick my brain for a little bit. I'm pretty much an open book whenever it comes to information, as long as I'm not giving away my fishing spots. Well, there, there we go. We can't be giving away fishing spots. And for you guys <laughs> listening, that is that is the sign of a good guide right there is when they tell you that they're, they're, they're booked up. You definitely want a guide who stays booked up. So, well, brother, I enjoyed having you on. Uh, I hope we can talk to you some more in the future. Good luck out there. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I uh, hope you guys have a good summer and hope you catch a bunch of fish. Yes, sir. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. All right, guys. We are going to take a quick break to check out some of this week's sponsors this week's episode of the alabama freshwater fishing report has been brought to you by baker metal works and dixie supply baker metal works and dixie supply offer numerous items to help get your project done right the first time they carry a variety of different panel profiles and your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories they also offer a full line of hardware items and post frame building design Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or get a free estimate today. Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply, your metal roofing headquarters. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And if you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314-665-1767 to subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Crocodile Bay. Costa Rica is not just a legendary fishing and vacation destination. At Crocodile Bay, it's much more. They deliver inshore and offshore fishing expeditions to meet the highest expectations. Check them out at crocodilebay.com book your dream trip today also brought to you by mallard bay outdoors book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters built by sportsmen for sportsmen mallardbay.com and by hayabusa fishing hayabusa extremely well known for their premium sabiki rigs but also don't forget their full line of saltwater hooks and jigs as well as freshwater bass hooks See what you've been missing at HayabusaFishing.com. Also by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rig or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at FishBites.com. Also brought to you by BucksIsland.com. Bucks Island has been in business since 1948 for all of your new and used boat needs, as well as motor sales and service, and now they have a pro-level tackle store. Boat and motor trade-ins are welcome. Visit them online at BucksIsland.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588.